0: Today, we discuss Miro. Listen, when it comes to running client workshops, the dream, of course, is to get those creative juices flowing, right? But typically what ends up happening is thousands of hours get wasted because of poorly facilitated meetings. So I have Maya with me today. She's a consultant who runs Fortune 100 workshops from leadership training to team building, and she has the insider tip on what makes things work. Maya? Thank you, Jason. I've been doing this a long time. My number one tip is to
1: bring everyone into that visual collaboration platform. So personally, I use Miro. And it's completely changed how I interact with the room. You have to give people a way to feel like they're in the room, even when they're not. That's something you can do easily in Miro. Otherwise, they've seen the same slides and format a thousand times.
0: Falling asleep, eyes glazing over,
1: yawns, all that. Exactly. When people follow me on the Miro board, everyone is literally going on a journey with me. We're adding thoughts, we're reacting, and we're voting for the best ideas. It's great. Connective magic. I like it.
0: That's M-I-R-O
2: dot this Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by Apostates Anonymous, the show you turn to when you're no longer an evangelical, or even a Christian. Join hosts Matthew J. DiStefano and Keith Giles as they tip over just about every sacred cow known to man. You're sure to have a good time, if you're a heathen or heretic or apostate or reprobate. If you're an evangelical, maybe you won't have such a good time. But either way, we want you to listen. You can check out Apostates Anonymous wherever you get your podcast fix. Now, onto the show. Big news, friends! The podcast is heading back to Theology Beer Camp, hosted by Trip Floor. Now, Noah and I went last year, and it was an amazing time. We met so many of you, and we're doing it again this year in October. You'll get to hang out with podcasts like ours. You have permission with Dan Koch, The Bible for Normal People, with Pete Ends and Jared Bias, and so many more. And there are amazing scholars like Adam Clark, Thomas J. Ort, and John Dominic Crossan. With more speakers and podcasts to be announced, the sooner you get tickets, the cheaper they are. In fact, if you use promo code Godpod, you'll get $25 off your ticket. Let me tell you something. If you are looking for better ways forward in the Christian tradition, this is the event to come to. Yes, you get to hear from some amazing speakers and hear some amazing lectures, but the secret sauce in beer camp is that you get to hang out with these folks and listen to them in conversation. Plus, you get to hang out with Noah and I for a few days and have a great time. Use promo code T-N-E God pod for $25 off your ticket. And I'll see you in Missouri in October with me and Noah trip Fuller, all the great scholars, all the great podcasts. I'll see you then. Hi, friends, I'm Tim Whitaker, and welcome to the New Evangelicals podcast. The New Evangelicals is an inclusive, Jesus-centered community that holds space for people marginalized by the evangelical church, advocates for accountability in the church, and helps you explore the Christian tradition beyond the basement of evangelical fundamentalism. This podcast is part of that work, so join us as we talk to people from all walks of life, lending their expertise and wisdom to us as we renegotiate our faith and find better paths forward. All right, friends. This is a very special conversation. I have with me on the podcast Will Harrison. Now, Will and I we actually, I would say, Will, we're at least digital friends at this point. Uh, you uh, are a part of our community. You're actually a moderator on our private Facebook community. And you reached out to me a while ago and pretty much said, hey, I would love to come on the podcast and share my story, uh, share my process of deconstruction and just some of the things I'm seeing in church, color, uh, church culture regarding things like ableism and through a long you know, twist and turn and and, and and a very windy road. We eventually found a time to make it happen and get you on the podcast. So, Will, it's really great to have you. Thank you for being here.
3: Ken, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure.
2: Absolutely. Well, I always like to ask my guests for their backstory. So, Will, I would love to kind of hear some of your backstory. How did you grow up? Did you grow up in evangelical circles? Give me that part of your life.
3: I did indeed. Um I grew up in a very small um, town in South Carolina, um, a 1,000 people. Um, Growing up for me, um, the biggest thing that people need to know is that because I grew up in a small town, my worldview was really limited into who I was exposed to. For my family and I, church was everything. Uh, I grew up Southern Baptist. We were in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Anytime the doors were open, we were there. So my life really revolved around the church. Yep. Um, I have uh, one, sister who, uh, one sister who's the biological sister. And then, so we grew up together. My dad grew up when I was three. Um, and the kind of backstory to that is really that I, I believe that Part of the problem was that once he found out that I was born and having, having a disability myself, my dad kind of just ran off when I was about three years old. So, wow. um, still to this day had not met him, had not talked to him. I couldn't really tell you what he really looks like, honestly. Mm. So my mom married my stepdad when I was about 89. My stepdad was very, um... Mm. So my growing up was odd because on one hand I had church that made me feel safe and loved, but on the other hand, I had my home life where I just lived in constant fear of my stepdad coming home drunk. And mm. that is something that has taken me years to kind of process.
2: Did you feel that um that 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 why your home life wasn't safe was because your stepdad targeted you because you have a disability? Or was it just, you just think he was a, just a cruel person in general?
3: No, I don't think my stepdad targeted me at all because of the disability. I think for him, a lot of what he brought into our was just his own brokenness, mm. um, his own trauma that he grew up with, that he was an alcoholic. And so, That's all he really knew. He didn't really know how to relate to my sister and I. He actually told us one time, he said, I will never be a dad to you. And while that was brutally hard to hear, Mm. I think that's that's just where he was. He just did not know how to be a dad at Mm. all. Or a husband for that matter.
2: Yeah. So you mentioned that, that the church at this time was it was actually it sounds like a pretty warm and inviting space for you especially given your home life can you kind of dig into that a little bit and, and, and give some more backstory there
3: yeah so the community i had was church so at that point i felt safe i felt loved i felt guided i really felt a like part of the group so to speak so when when I would go to church, people would, would, you know, validate me. they would um they would talk to me. I would feel like part uh it was a small church, so I was like part of the community. And I think as because that's all I knew, I kind of ran toward that head first. Like I put my everything into church. I I to church 120%. percent
2: hmm hmm Yeah. I mean I think a lot of people I, I, my home life was very stable, um, which is a privilege. Many people who grew up in church do not have a stable home life and they found their safety in these church spaces, which I, I think is actually worth bringing up and, and, and saying that, that could be a very good thing. I mean, I think that, that, that that local churches like that can play a really healthy role of giving kids with very unstable family lives uh, places where they can escape and be validated and be loved and be welcomed. So I think, you know, <laughs> you know, well because you're part of the work that we do, we can be very critical uh, of the evangelical church, but I think that it's important to give credit where credit is due uh, when it comes to how people can be inviting for kids who don't have stable family lives.
3: Absolutely. And for, the, and for the church I grew up and for the most part, people are really genuine. I mean, it was people who really, really cared about who I was as a person. And I think sometimes we miss that point. Like, um, some people experience a lot of church abuse and church harm and trauma in yeah. church. But for me, it's critical to know at that stage in my life, um, people are really genuine, and kind, and loving.
2: Hmm. So, what what ages was this for you? Uh, like f- when you felt the most, you know, loved by the church? Given your your home life.
3: Well, to be honest, I would say until I left for college at, eight, at eighteen. Wow. I, I, yeah, I don't think I ever questioned anything when I first, from childhood up until my teenage years. And um, I felt
2: completely safe at church. And I and I again I I gave it my everything. Okay, so so what so okay, so from, from ages zero to eighteen, right? You're at a church, you you feel at home, it's it's a safe space for you compared to your home life. Then you go to college. Is that when, when you start rethinking what your theology? Like give me more of that story. Sure. So I went to a Bible College. Um okay. I will
3: say this, and we can touch on this a little later, but there were elements of church growing up looking at now, sure. I see were not the, not the best thing. Um, but I went to a four year Bible college, um, a very small college, about a thousand people. It really wasn't until my mid 30s where I really started questioning a lot of things. But I would say the first crack in my foundation happened after college. All right. But let me, let me back off just a little bit and give people an idea of what it was like going up with, with a disability. So right. I have a disability called nobile syndrome. And the way nobile affects me, for one, it's very rare. Uh, but two, my facial nerves didn't develop. So I cannot smile. I can't frown. People will probably notice that I'm it a little hard to understand because certain letters are harder for me to pronounce. My eyes do not move from side to side. So when I read, I have to turn my head. When my friends grow not called me a student typewriter, because every time I read, it's like the teen that don't seem back before. Mm. Um, so growing up with a disability, again, that's something that I didn't think much about until I got older. But growing up with that, I faced a lot of surgeries um, from the time I was born to the time I went to college, about eighteen to twenty and all. I also started facing a lot of bullying in school. Mm. Um, so you can imagine that maybe the reason that church felt safe, because I was, I, I, taught, I was taught in the league that Jesus knew really didn't love me, mm. while I faced a lot of bullying at school, and I also faced a lot of rejection when I stuck that at home.
2: Mm. Mm. Okay, so the disability that you have, I want to make sure that I, I comprehend it. Essentially, it affects the nerves in your face, that that don't allow you to, you know, like you said, move your eyes a certain way or make facial expressions. Is that, is that, what, that what you're referring to? Correct. Okay. And so, yeah, I mean, so I, you know, I, I got to be honest, Will, like it's always... As a host, I want to be respectful. I don't want to treat someone like a token, right? Like, oh, well, hey, you're you're the token person with a disability. So let's just unpack all your stuff. I want you to lead that conversation. But you mentioned that at home, or oh, I'm sorry, um, at school you face a lot of bullying, which uh unfortunately I don't think is surprising. Did that have a major effect on on just your emotional and like uh on your emotional psyche, things, et cetera?
3: Oh, absolutely, one hundred and twenty percent. Yeah. Um. To give you one prime kind of example of the golden I faced, I remember we were going out on a field trip, um, out to lunch, and this in the nineties in South Carolina, you could still ride in the back of a pickup truck. So mm-hmm. we're in the back of a pickup truck, and um, we we stopped at the stoplight, and this guy in the next car just waves to us, and my classmate literally said to him, he goes, he yells out. Don't listen to him.
4: He is retarded. Wow.
3: And so, my self-esteem, I had no self-esteem growing up. Like, my self-worth, I had no self-worth going up. My self-confidence, I had no self-confidence. I, I had none of that. And I think that's what makes things so hard for me because on one hand, I believe that nice. faith and confidence came from God, but in the real world it just it didn't feel tangible to me. It mm. didn't make sense because God wasn't protecting me from being building the school. God wasn't protecting me from doing um burglary you know, abuse on that stepdad. And later on I would begin to see just how entangled that was on the in those years.
2: Mm. Well thank you for sharing that. You know, I yeah, I, I think that um you know School bullying is, we, we know it's a thing, it's a problem. And I think when you hear the people and you hear their stories of how they've been bullied, it just like, it, it, it makes me angry. It, may, it makes you want to become a bully to those bullies, which has not really solved the problem usually. Uh, but I appreciate you sharing that. So, okay. So we have this backstory. We understand your disability. You're at school. You're at a small Christian college. Right and 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 so let's continue this journey of kind of what led you to this point in your life where you started really rethinking things. Now, you mentioned earlier that that the deconstruction, we'll call it, came a little bit after college. But what was your college life like? Uh, go into that for a little bit.
3: The best way to understand uh, really all of this up until this point is that I was say from the time that I was born to the time that I was probably in my mid to late 20s, I lived in a bubble. I lived in the evangelical bubble where that was all I all knew. It was the only worldview I had, um, to the point where even associated with non-believers was really stressful for me, and it caused a lot of anxiety. So when it came time to go to college, um, all I knew was church, so hey, why not do youth ministry? All right, God wants you to be a youth pastor, right? <laughs> Sounds so, about right. So, yeah, that's so you know, I, I, I went to Blackwood College and again, I had a good experience. I mean, I I loved my Blackwood College years. I I met some great friends, and again, I felt completely accepted. But we have to grasp the fact that all I knew was this little, small worldview, and that's, it's, it's, it's really... I like to talk with him. So, of course, things made sense in, in that kind of reference.
2: Yeah. Okay. Inter- I I want to point something out. Um, A lot of times, in, when I have people on the podcast who have a story about growing up in church, there's usually a moment where like something incredibly traumatic happens, right? Where like, something, okay, Um, this person abused me or this thing happened. And Will, you and I share a similar story in the sense of, I also look back at my upbringing in church and I was like, it was, it was you know, yeah, there are problems looking back now, but hey, I had a pretty good church life. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't have like major um, problems that, that led me to deconstruct. My deconstruction came over time. So I'm kind of curious then what was the moment or series of moments for you that, that led you to start rethinking what was at the time a very safe place where you felt accepted and loved compared to a very harsh world of bullies and unstable family life. The
3: moment I realized that church was also a bully. When I graduated from Bible college, um, I interviewed for an organization at the time was in Atlanta. And it was a youth industry organization that did international. They did a lot of international youth industry. They trained youth pastors overseas. And, um, I went went into the interview, and I thought the interview went great. So they asked me to come back, just going to weekend with them at one of their leadership events that they do for new pastors, and again, I thought that went okay. They're like, all right, we'll call you and let you know what what we decide. Well, I didn't hear from them within two weeks. I called, and the guy says to me on the phone, he says, we're not going to hire you. Because we don't think people can understand you. Mm. We think you need to be working in a church. That was the first cracking system. But again, being the, 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 the obeying Christian that I was, I thought, okay, let's do that. So then I applied and moved to Colorado to do an internship in Colorado. And this was the summer after that. I got out to Colorado, was there three months, and all of a sudden, they called me into the office one day. They're like, we can't do this anymore. We, this internship, this isn't going to work out and never really declared, you know, what was going on. Um, that just ended. And so I moved back to South Carolina. Um, very, very depressed and very confused. Um, I would later end up moving to Michigan after I met my now wife. Hmm. But I think those were some years where the crash started that they didn't break the foundation at that point. It still was probably a a good 10 years after that, where my house just absolutely burned to
4: the ground. And what finally did it end
3: for me was several things. One, the election of Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, I voted for Trump for 2016. I'm not proud of that at all, but I did. And I'll tell you why. And this, this is one of the reasons that that foundation was in the crumble. Yeah. I want, I want the audience to really understand this. Growing up as a conservative Christian, I was taught that to real good Christian is to go Republican. To be a good Christian is to go anti-gay marriage. To be a good Christian is to go pro-life. Okay? Yep. I was taught that.
4: When George Floyd was killed,
3: I saw the Christians I knew and loved, I grew up with, the in such a negative, harmful way.
4: And I thought, what the hell
3: is going on? How did we get here? Yeah. And so that led me down a long rapid trail to understand what happened with the religious rights and all of those things. And this lie that I've been taught my whole life, it was also about that time that I started grad school for social work. Mm. And so as a social worker, I began to see things in grad school that didn't add up with my faith. Um, now, people might listen to this and go, oh, well, there we go. People send their kids off to college, and that's what happens. They lose their faith. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and my response to that is, no, that's not what happens. What happens is, you raise your kids in such a way they have a small, narrow house, and whenever they find something outside that box, their whole world crumbles because you lied to them. Mm. That's what happens. So that's really what started, started the field of like deconstruction. And then it led me into the idea of hell, the idea of what is salvation? All of those things that led up, kind of led up to today.
2: Yeah, well, man, I wish I can tell you your story is unique. <laughs> but, as, <laughs> but as we both know, so many of us have a very similar um, memory of, of 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 a catal uh, of, of a catalyst moment that said that made us go, "Oh my gosh, what is going on in my faith?" Mm-hmm. Um and and I agree. I mean, for me as well, yeah, I'm not gonna recap the story. It was definitely Trump. It was it was the 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 lynching, right, of George Floyd and Amanda Arbery and Breonna Taylor, and it was the COVID response. And it just it, you start pulling the thread. And like you said, this very narrow room or house, however you want to describe it, that you grew up in, you realize that like there's a whole world outside the door that you that you've never been exposed to. And so it's not indoctrination, it's actually in a way it's liberation. It's, it's the idea of at least being exposed to the reality that other people flourish in the world outside of the bubble that you were taught is the only safe place in human existence, right? 120%. Yeah. Today, we discuss Miro.
0: Listen, when it comes to running client workshops, the dream, of course, is to get those creative juices flowing, right? But typically what ends up happening is thousands of hours get wasted because of poorly facilitated meetings. So I have Maya with me today. She's a consultant who runs Fortune 100 workshops, from leadership training to team building, and she has the insider tip on what makes things work. Maya? Thank
1: you, Jason. I've been doing this a long time. My number one tip is to bring everyone into that visual collaboration platform so personally, I use Miro and it's completely changed how I interact with the room. You have to give people a way to feel like they're in the room even when they're not. That's something you can do easily in Miro. Otherwise, they've seen the same slides and format a thousand times. Falling asleep, eyes glazing over, yawns, all that. Exactly. When people follow me on the Miro board, everyone is literally going on a journey with me. We're adding thoughts, we're reacting, and we're voting for the best ideas. It's great. Connective
2: magic. I like it. That's M- so what, what did you get your master's degree in? My master's degree is in social work. Okay, so you're a social worker. Are you currently still doing that? I am. I'm a therapist at a, a country care office in Detroit. So when you applied for that job... What was some of the the? How was that? What was the process like that was different from the way that you were rejected at at evangelical churches applying for jobs that would have been working with youth or you know interning?
4: I will say, I was I in that part by saying that
3: I have found more acceptance outside the evangelical church than I have inside the evangelical church, like. I've never had any issues in my working lives. I've always had really great coworkers workers who really valued me for me. So when I started grad school, um, and the reason I got in social work, because my wife and I had several kids with medical needs, and a um, daughter had some major complications after surgery, hmm. but we really almost lost her. And Whoa. so I realized in that week I really wanted to, to work with with language of people who are really struggling so what's ironic to me is that i now work in a field where i talk all day long i I really talk all day long to clients Mm. and i've had no issue but yet time and time again the church told me no you can't do that no you can't in fact i had a situation two years ago where i was at the church and they wanted someone to teach in their kids' ministry. The so I met with the pastor, and um, he goes, You know what? I think you got it better doing video. And I thought, All right, what the heck? So I did that for a while, and um, he goes, Well, we can, I think, not send a story in church, you know. At that point, I was still, you know, good that evangelical. And he said, Yeah, but, you know, let's put the words in the screen so people can understand you. So the church, Does not know how to handle nestiness. So I would say that when it comes to the job I have now, I still often feel like I lack the self confidence because for years and years and years, I was told I couldn't and I was told I had no voice.
2: Hmm. Well, I mean, I think that, that kind of brings us to one of the main questions beyond, of course, unpacking your story that I. Am am trying to better understand as I navigate you know a world of deconstruction and decolonization and also ableism. Now I I, I will be frank with you, will, and transparent, and you're not going to be surprised by this. But out of all the things that I'm currently trying to understand, I probably know the least when it comes to how to approach and how to have conversation with folks who might have a disability, right? And 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 also having eyes to see ableism which is the idea of system i mean you tell me what it is but my understanding is that it's essentially institutions and systems that are designed uh to really exclude people who might need other accommodations than what someone like myself might might need as an example i don't know if that's the right way of putting it but that's kind of my understanding of it um you know looking back with the eyes that you have now what did you experience ableism in the church? Like I like break that down for me. I would love just kinda of your your experience on that.
3: Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely did. I remember um right after we got married, my wife and I were talking on uh, one night. I've always wanted to teach. I I, I love teaching. I I just it's I was in a classroom nine and I remember one night I was in tears. I said, Honey, I don't understand why. I can't use this gift that God's given me. I I want to teach. And it wasn't to put myself on a pedestal. I just really enjoyed teaching. And so, as I look back on those situations where I felt it was in the church, um, I I think that a lot of churches are really concerned with the image that they give to people. And and that is their main priority. And so, when you have that at the forefront, it becomes really hard to accept this person with a disability who really does want to to use the gifts that they feel that God's given them at the
2: time. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's fair. I should ask you: Was my assessment of what ableism is even close to correct, or was that way off base? <laughs> I should probably no, ask you that no, before
3: I, I assume. I I think that's entirely uh, accurate. And what this thing about churches is, is that so. When the Americans with Disabilities Act was passed years ago, um, which that app would would make places more accessible for people with disabilities, um,
2: is that things? Sorry to interrupt you, but really quick, was that things like like mandating that 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 there are wheelchair accessible ramps on buildings, things like that?
3: Yes, yes, that that's exactly that. Just what's ironic to me, what's interesting, what a lot of people don't realize is that the church, the the evangelical church, the North Choir, was against the ADA. Wow. Um I don't I don't know why but they were against it. And so um when we look at egoism, what we have to realize is that just our society is is
4: created for people who
3: who don't have any physical disabilities, any emotional disabilities, any any type of thing like that. Our society is set up to where we want people who are quote-unquote normal without any, any problems or any issues. Um, right. And this goes from how how our no buildings are designed to how we support those who are different than us. And where I think the church has failed, a lot of people will tell you, when you bring this issue up, there's several things that come, come to mind. People will say, well... God, God didn't do that to you. The church did, and I'm like, I, I just shake my head because who claims who claims to love well people? The church, right? Exactly. Um, the other thing
4: I think that comes to mind is when you look at the idea of disability. A lot of churches will say, "Oh, well, well my church has this. My church has this. this program for disabilities." A what? A program for people with disabilities? Hmm. Um, how many times, and, and I ask this for those
3: who are listening, how many times have you seen a pastor who's disabled teaching? Yeah. How many times have you seen those who are in leadership teaching uh, who have disabilities? Um, how many times have you seen churches being not successful for people who who, who are neur- neurotypical who have things like autism? You don't. Um. And so I think the reason that I was able to understand, specific, um, I was messed this word up. One reason, one way I was able to understand statistic justice is that I understand the fact that this world is not pretty equally for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I look at things like racism, I get it because this world, our society is not built on the idea of equality. Mm-hmm. So there's an the idea of equality and there's an the idea of equity. Yeah. Um, that's the idea of qualities that we're all made equal. That's the equity. is that um, you you give that person a little push. They know what they need to to succeed and to thrive. Right.
2: Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, you you know, you ask that question. Have have ever you know seen like a disabled preacher or or pastor, right? And my answer is no unless I see someone on Instagram who's almost like tokenized as like look this this person like like there was someone I don't know their name but they're a person who uh is, is has a wheelchair and does not have uh their legs below the knees and they Ooh. did some and I, I think also perhaps no arms as well and they did some inspiring speech at, at some kind of Christian event about you know perseverance and you know I think old me would be like wow what an inspiration, this is so beautiful, this poor person. But I think my new eyes are like, well, this kind of feels like we're tokenizing this person and treating them in a way that is almost kind of dehumanizing. What are your thoughts on that?
3: Oh, 100%. When I was growing up, and I, and I see this now, when I was growing up, um, I would often go from church to church to send my testimony. Of, 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 oh, God knows me like this. I'm going to praise God with my body, praise God with my life, blah, blah, blah. I was not taught to, and this happens a lot in the local space. I was not taught to trust God's emotions. So even though I was very insecure and like self-confidence, praise God, right? Because God knew me like this. Yeah. What that does is that that does not that that negates, uh, it negates the goats that that people are hurting. that
4: people are are different, and I
3: don't want to be the inspiration. Like mm. I get so tired of people saying, Oh, we got inspiration to do. Why? Mm. Why an inspiration to you? I'm just trying to live my life just like you are. Now people say, well that's a little harsh. Well is it? Like how often do we go to a normal person and go, oh you're an inspiration. Unless they've done stuff in, above above beyond, right? Right. I'm just trying to live the life that I have
4: and when I when I look back on it now
3: I think the reason that that this has been so hard for me is that right I, right now I'm just recognizing the emotions that I felt that I w- was not able to feel or recognize all those years ago, mm. and and when it comes to deconstruction, yeah. I, I really want to hit on this point too. No one ever chooses this. Totally, and it doesn't and it, and it doesn't happen overnight. I I get really tired of tricked to say, well. You're choosing to your deconstruct. But churches will say things like, um, you're just choosing to not follow God. Really? Are you are you are not Okay. I don't know how I could have believed any harder for the thirty five years that I was I was evangelical. I don't know what I could have done right. differently.
2: I, I mean, again, uh, you know, Will, you're, you're hitting a very common experience, right? Of like, people tell me, I tell people like, listen, I don't, I didn't intend to end up here. <laughs> I just took my faith seriously. Like they taught me. Um, and, um, here I am kind of deconstructed, which I know you and I aren't huge fans of that, of that word, but, but it, it communicates the point. Sure. Um, uh, you know, uh, let me, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm, everything you're saying, about you know like hey i i am tired of being your inspiration and I, and i think if we're going to just kind of say the quiet part out loud I think people look at someone like the guy I just described in that video, and they go, "I think it's it's a weird combination of pity and also like, wow, this person lives a life, and and that means that you know I really shouldn't complain about my lot in life compared to this person, right? It's almost like mm-hmm. that kind of like, well, Tim, it could be worse. You could be that person. I think that's the underlying assumption there, which I think is why it's so dehumanizing, because instead of seeing this person as fully made in the image of God. Worthy of love, dignity, respect, and also what can we learn from each other as just as as people in relationship? Uh, People treat these folks as not fully as human as someone like me because of a physical, you know, disability. So I, I think one of my questions for you is like, what when you envision a more welcoming and inclusive church that makes room for all the different types of people and body types, et cetera. What does that look like for you?
3: That's a good question. I think I ask myself that question every day.
2: Yeah.
3: I think that's a question that haunts me at night. It's yeah. a question
4: that doesn't let up. And I and I, I had several different thoughts on that. One the evangelical church today is very sick.
5: Mm.
3: It's broken. And I would say that the evangelical church today does way more harm than good, mm. 100%. So I think in order to really get to the question we're asking, we really have to imagine a world without the evangelical church, mm. if, if, if that's possible. Mm. When I look at the life of Jesus,
5: yeah.
4: and I know this sounds so simplistic, but it really does come down to loving people. And I look at those Jesus hung out with and those he really loved. And with the evangelical structure that most are
3: given, I don't think they really can love other people without an agenda. The agenda for the evangelicals is always to get people into heaven, right? To get them saved. Right. And if that's always on your mind, you really can't love someone. Let's, let's make a scenario. So let's say that
4: you are my close friend. And
3: let's say that you are out out there, quote, unquote, living a, a sinner's lifestyle. You're drinking, smoking, sleeping around. And as your friend, I'm concerned for you. Now, but at the same time, you are a very honest person. You're, you're an authentic person. And they're not harming anyone, you're just they are just living their life. You're just living your life. Um I don't think I can love you as an evangelical because there's always gonna really be that agenda. I think the only way for me to really love you is is to knock those walls down and to see to see every individual that we meet as worthy of love. Because every individual is worthy of love. I don't care who you are, you are worth worthy of love. And there's questions. There's questions, I think that all of us ask ourselves all the time: Who am I?
4: Who am I? Yeah. And and and, and am I
3: love. Yeah. Because for a lot of us, the place we've gone to find that love, we only really found rejection. Mm. So now we're asking. Now we're out here asking ourselves the question: We still want to follow Jesus. Some do, and some don't, and that's okay. But. How do we really love people, and how do we find acceptance and I think that when i when I really deconstruct against one of the things that
4: really helped me to do is to really love,
3: honor, and respect, and care for those around me um, because I think the the church will will easily point out things that this is sin that sin and that sin we don't understand biology. We don't understand psychology, we don't understand science, and all we want in the end is easy to believe not right? So for example, let's say you have someone who's an alcoholic. Why are they an alcoholic? Yeah. Are they just choosing to live and live in that? Or is there a of trauma? The church doesn't understand trauma at yeah, all. Right. So I think the only way to answer that question is that we really have to imagine a world in which the evangelical church, is no more. And that need never happen in my lifestyle. But all I want to do is to care for the people around me and, and, and be the support that they need. And, and I think part of that ties into the fact that the church lacks equity and the church doesn't know how to relate to people. I'll give you an example. Sure. When, when my wife and I had our oldest daughter, she was in the NICU for three
4: weeks. I was absolutely crushed. I remember coming home from the hospital. I went up to her room, and I started just bawling.
5: Mm.
4: And I got a phone call from a friend,
3: and she said, well, God won't give you nothing you can handle.
5: Mm.
3: I'm feeling get broken. I'm crushed. And they are given me this, these empty platitudes. Totally. Was, it was what it was. Yeah. And so, No one knew how to just be with us. I don't need you to solve their problems. I just need you to be with me. Let me know I'm not alone. Let me know you care for me. Let me know that you're just going to be the friend I need because
4: I'm hurting. And I just need you to
3: just show up and shut up.
4: Yeah.
3: And I think a lot of us, that's what we need. We need people who just. Who could just be there for us? Yeah. In in those moments, those tangible spaces.
2: Yeah. Well, let me ask you a curveball question then. How well, how do you think we're doing as an organization, and what do you think we can do better to continue making sure that we um, are able to uh, be a more inclusive space that makes room for each other, especially for folks who want to get more involved, like yourself, who volunteers as as a mod for our Facebook group. Give me, you could shoot straight with me. I really want to know. I,
3: <laughs> I'm going to be honest here. Community is one of the only places that I feel safe in myself completely without judgment.
4: Wow.
3: I honestly need that. Um, and, I, and, I, and I wish that I had these people around me in
4: my daily life. Like, community offers hope for people in, in a world,
3: in a place where it's hard to find that hope. And as we read through people's stories, as they share their frustrations, all they want is, is hope. And they just want to be seen. And they want to be heard. And I think to that end, I think of is doing an awesome job. What I would like to see happen, honestly, and I, I'm just a, a visionary, I would love to see, um, T and meetups. I would love to see a a T D conference. I would love to see yeah. T D gatherings where people would gather and continue because I'll tell you right now, T is the church today. Hmm. It really is. Now we we have we do have people in our group who are agnostic. We have people who might nice say they're atheists. And, and that's okay. We have people who are really trying to do to do their best to live the life they have, to be seen, to be heard, and and many, I would say many still want to love Jesus, but we don't know how because our lives are mm-hmm. like a like ball yarn. We're yeah. trying to untangle all that. Yeah. So I, I think, I think that tuning is doing an awesome job. I think the way tuning can be better at it would just be to some, at some point to do those, those meetups to yeah. just yeah. have that coffee and have that, because I think that when we could be together face to face, it, it changes a lot.
2: I I could not agree with you more on the face to face thing. We say it often, um, and also, audience, to be clear that that question I asked Will was literally an in the moment question. It was not a pre planned evangelical church question, and, and then mm-hmm. Will was, was scheduled to say that. So, Will, I mean, that is incredibly kind. Uh, you know that you that you would say something like that because we that's what we're trying to do. And listen, you're part of that work. I mean, you are one of the moderators on our Facebook group. You're in the mod chat. You know that 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 everyone in that room. Mm-hmm cares about like creating a space that is welcoming that of course has boundaries but tries to maintain them in ways that invite people to do better Instead of being exclusive, so it it really means a lot to have you say that because you know, listen, we're all in. We're all in 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 process. I'm in a process. I'm new to a lot of this work. The version of Tim you're talking to now is not who I was ten years ago. My old blog, you know, reminds me of that. Uh, And so we're we're always kind of in process. I just think I think it's really important to make sure that we are listening to the plurality of voices. Obviously, we can't be pulled in every single direction. An organization has to have vision, have direction, have focus. But Mm -hmm. the people who are on board with that, how they can begin to shape that I just think it's so important, you know. I mean, I'm not sure if the audience audience knows it. We have about 18 people who volunteer with us, you know, consistently. Between Noah, who does our podcast production and post these episodes, to Carrie, who does our show notes, people like you who do the uh, Facebook stuff, uh, Michelle, who's one of, who's our volunteer coordinator, Rebecca, who schedules podcasts now, uh, Adele, who's our branding coordinator, who helps me out with all the graphic design. So, like, it is so cool to work with such amazing people who are so different and to have like these perspectives as we kind of move forward forward together so I, I really love that you know i i think well like one of my, my last questions for you is have you ever because i i've heard this from people who have a disability and honestly like in the in the old me would have been like yeah and now i'm like oh i'm so sorry i ever thought that was a good thing has anyone ever offered to like pray over you or like heal you because i i hear that Often from folks who are like, you know, oh, I'm wheelchair bound. Let's pray that Jesus heals you miraculously and like so you can walk again. Have you ever experienced that? I, I just had to ask.
3: Honestly, I have not. Um, which is which is ironic. Because I hear stories like that all the time. Um, I often have questions like, what happened to you? Um one lady asked me one time, she goes, Are you in a car accident? And I'm like, not nothing. Not that I remember. You know, just <laughs> I don't she think didn't. so, right. No. Yeah. But, you know, Tim. One thing I I want people to understand too is that, um, and I and I think this goes along with disability and deconstruction is what really mm. one of the saddest things for me. Well, one actually this deconstruction is really lonely. It's it a lonely world. Even, even with with T and E, a lot of days I just feel absolutely alone. Like, right? and I'm an extrovert, so I, it is so hard for me because I I love people. Okay. But I think the thing that bothers me the most is that as I I've
4: deconstructed, and I'm sure this is the
3: experience of a lot of people in the audience, is that no one ever starts to ask your story. Like, what led you to this point? Like people will make assumptions of why you're here that no one ever no one ever wants to sit down and just listen to your story. And
4: if I can say one thing to to the TV audience,
3: is that your story matters. Where you are today and how you got here, it absolutely matters because we need to give space to those stories. Um, because it, at the end of the
4: day, we can believe if we want, but if we're not loving
3: people, we really aren't walking and living out our faith. That That really is the bottom line.
2: No, I love that. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for your time. I'm so glad we made this conversation happen. Do you have like a public um, social media presence or are you more private? Can folks follow you if they want to?
3: Well, I'm not Facebook. I'm kind of one of the old guys that still use Facebook primarily. Um, I, I, will, and I I think the best way to get a hold of you Facebook Messenger. Um, I do email sometimes um but i'm a I'm a talker, so <laughs> message, we can talk over zoom we can talk on the phone, we can message. um I love getting to know other people and because i I think in the day we have to realize that you are not alone and just having one person to let you know they're not alone.
2: Lose a lot. Awesome. Well, Will, thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for coming on. I'm sure I'll talk to you in the mod chat about some issue in the Facebook group soon. So again, thanks for your time. Love that you're here. And we'll talk again soon.
3: this time.
0: We discuss Miro. Listen, when it comes to running client workshops, the dream, of course, is to get those creative juices flowing, right? But typically what ends up happening is thousands of hours get wasted because of poorly facilitated meetings. So I have Maya with me today. She's a consultant who runs Fortune 100 workshops from leadership training to team building, and she has the insider tip on what makes things work. Maya? Thank you, Jason.
1: I've been doing this a long time. My number one tip is to bring everyone into that visual collaboration platform so personally, I use Miro and it's completely changed how I interact with the room. You have to give people a way to feel like they're in the room even when they're not. That's something you can do easily in Miro. Otherwise, they've seen the same slides and format a thousand times. Falling asleep, eyes glazing over, yawns, all that. Exactly. When people follow me on the Miro board, everyone is literally going on a journey with me. We're adding thoughts, we're reacting, and we're voting for the best ideas. It's great. Connective magic. I like it.
0: That's M- M-I-R-O dot com.